The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. How are you now? Oh, it's all over. It's all over. But how are you now? Folks, your Montreal Canadiens lose their final game of the season by a score of 5-4 to four to the Boston Bruins. Hello and welcome to episode 82. We made it. We made it to 82 episodes of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake. And I'm sad. I'm not sad because they lost. I'm sad because it's going to be, uh, you know, until October, until we get to watch Montreal Canadiens hockey again. This is what I live for. You know, this is what I do. Um, I do have a day job that, that has nothing to do with hockey um, that I don't talk about on this podcast. And I won't talk about on this podcast. Uh, but look, this is this is my thing. And I don't enjoy having to sit here and realize... Uh, very harshly that it's going to be many months uh, before I actually get to sit down and do my thing again. Uh, but the good news is I, I've mentioned this a couple of times. So I'm not going to you know go into too much detail about it. We're going to have a lot of draft content coming up here. I'm going to be all over uh, the QMJHL, OHL, WHL playoffs from here on out, and then the Memorial Cup after that. There's still plenty of hockey for me to watch. It's just not my favorite team. And look, the good news is by losing to the Boston Bruins, my favorite team, our favorite team probably, I'm assuming most people who listen to this podcast are Montreal Canadiens fans, have clinched fifth last in the NHL and thereby they are slated for the fifth overall draft pick depending on how the draft lottery shakes out. There is of course the possibility of them jumping up to first or second. There's also the possibility of them sliding down to 6th or 7th. The lowest they can go is 7th. The highest they can go is number 1. So they have a shot at Connor Bedard. It's an 8.5% chance, which is not the best, but it's not the worst. It's a chance. So the draft lottery is going to be on May the 8th. That's the next date, NHL-wise, as a Habs fan, to circle on your calendar. That's the date. Circle that one on your calendars. We can wait until then, and that's when we're really going to be able to start talking about who they should draft. Until then, we can just start talking about different players, their merits, and uh, try to have some fun with it. And uh, I I guess, look, I got to do a recap of the game. Uh, It was actually a a pretty decent game. It started off pretty shitty, but it got better and better as it went on and eventually ended in a Bruins win, which, as I mentioned, is actually somehow good for the Montreal Canadiens. So, uh, you know, what happened? Well... Early on in the game, um, it surprised me that the Habs looked like the better team. They got an early power play. It didn't go. But even outside of that power play, they looked like the better team. I was surprised. Boston, 
I thought that they were going to come into this game and rest most of their their big guns, right? They didn't. Bergeron was out there. Marchand was out there. Pasternak was out there. I thought at least one of those three was going to sit out, if not two. And they didn't. They were there. And the Habs looked better in the early goings. And they get a weird one early in the game. A shot on goal from Joel Teasdale. Lucas Condotta gets the rebound and shoots it. Jeremy Swayman stops it, but it kicks up into the air and over him and into the net. The Bruins think it's a high stick. The refs go to the scorer's table and they have it reviewed. Uh, They go upstairs and uh, I guess it wasn't a challenge, so there was no penalty against Boston, but they took a look at it and they said, no, that's good. It's a goal and it's Lucas Condotta's first NHL goal in the final game of the season. What a story for him. one nothing for the Montreal Canadiens. But the Bruins get it back about five minutes later. A nice pass into the low slot by Connor Clifton. He finds Trent Frederick, and that makes it 1-1. And just over five minutes left in the first period, we get a bizarre one, okay? There's a dump attempt. Kind of ricochets softly off the backboards. But before it does that, okay, it wasn't even a dump attempt, really. I think it was a shot attempt, actually. They got deflected by a stick. And Joel Edmondson is like standing in the slot and the puck is trickling towards him. And he has his stick on the ice like he's about to go and just take that puck and make a quick outlet pass and send it the other way. But instead of doing that, he moves his stick out of the way. It ricochets off the backboards and finds its way over to Jake DeBrusque. And uh, he beats Samuel Montembeau through the five hole. I don't know what Samuel Montembeau was doing on that play. That was not a good look for him. He should have definitely been able to, to make the save on that. And I have no fucking earthly clue what Joel Edmondson was doing on that play. He was just looking at the puck and just watched it go by. It was comical. I have a highlight up on, on my Twitter account. If you haven't seen it yet, there I go. Plug in my own Twitter account again. Go look at it. Like there's no, I, I get it. Sometimes that you want to move your stick out of the way and you want to avoid tipping it into your own net. There was no risk of that. He could have corralled that, no problem, and sent it away with an outlet pass like that. But he didn't do that. So, uh, I don't know. Tank Commander, what's up? <laughs> it's At that point, it's 2-1 to one in favor of the Boston Bruins. And then on his next shift, his very next shift, Joel Edmondson, this time he decides the puck's not lava, apparently. I'm going to touch it. And he just yeets it out to Narnia over the glass, takes a penalty. And Chris Weidman, for good measure, goes over and cross-checks a Bruin and takes a penalty of his own. The Bruins get a five-on-three power play for a full two minutes. Uh, but luckily, the Habs managed to kill it off. And we go to the end of the first period with the score still intact at 2-1 to one for the Bruins. Head on into the second period. And uh, early in the second period, it is the Montreal Canadiens striking again. This time it's Joel Edmondson. Again, now he doesn't think the puck is lava anymore. He can touch it. And he does. And he shoots it. And Nick Suzuki, standing in the slot, gets a great tip on it. Gets it past Swayman and is 2-2. Two to two. Very shortly after that, the Habs take the lead. Jeremy Swayman comes way out of his net into the corner. A little, uh, not really in the corner. He's more up on, almost on the half wall, basically, and tries to play the puck. And he gets stripped by Rem Pitlick. Rem Pitlick has a clear path to the net with nobody in it. And what does he do? He decides to throw it back into the slot, anyways, to Michael Pizzetta and gifts him one. He could have taken the easy goal, but you know what? This game doesn't matter. And he did a nice thing. Good guy, Rem Pitlick, 3-2 to two for the Montreal Canadiens. Pitlick nearly blocked that one from actually going into the net, I should note, because he crossed in front of the net. Like, he's coming from basically the goal line. He throws it into the slot, and then he crosses the front of the net. Almost blocked Pizzetta's shot, which would have been comical. 
Um, but at this point, we're starting to worry a little bit in the EOTP Slack chat and among Team Tank or Tank Nation on Twitter. Is this going to be the thing that derails the tank? The Habs have a lead. Not to worry, though. Just over six minutes left in the second period. Dmitry Orlov has the puck at a ridiculous angle. He's basically standing on the goal line, and he shoots it up and over Samuel Montembeau's shoulder. It's 3-3. Three to three. That's your score at the end of 40 minutes, and we go into the third period where Michael Pizzetta takes a high-sticking penalty off the opening draw, which gives the Bruins a power play, and you're thinking, all right, here it is. This is where the Bruins are going to take the lead, but absolutely the fuck not. Um, great forecheck on the penalty kill by Jake Evans. Kicks the puck out into the slot, and Justin Barron comes in and just steps into one. A clapper. 4-3 to three for the Montreal Canadiens. The tank is in absolute jeopardy at this point, but it was not to be. Charlie Coyle says, fuck that. Midway point in the period, uh, just walks Chris Weidman. Absolutely dog walks him. Uh, goes to the forehand, goes upstairs on Montembeau, makes it 4-4. And then David Pasternak puts the nail in the coffin. Gets the 5-4 goal, and that's your final score. Pasternak, I was expecting to absolutely shred the Habs in this game. He was quiet up until he he needed to get one to win the game. So I guess, you know, Team Tank or Tank Nation, we, we kind of owe one to uh, David Pasternak there. And we shouldn't be shocked. He's a fantastic player. Um, you you got to wonder what could have been if the Bruins had just let him go one more pick that draft. That was the year, of course, that the Habs picked Ryan Paling. I do believe that if David Pasternak was on the board, that would have been their pick. Um, I think Trevor Timmons confirmed as much at one point during his career with the Habs. But anyways, um, what could have been is not really what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss what could be. And we're here to discuss what has been tonight, which is the Habs, of course, losing to the Bruins. Um, Look, it wasn't that bad of a game. I don't mind a 5-4 loss as the final entry in a tank season. I said this so many times at the start of the year. If they're going to lose a lot, I would like it to be barn burners. I would like it to be games where there's you know, 9, 10, 12, 15 total goals. Lots of goals is what I'd like to see. We saw nine total goals in this one. We saw some ridiculousness. We saw Joel Edmondson, actually. I didn't even mention this during the recap. He got into a fight with A.J. Greer during the third period, and uh, he did like an Israel Adesanya rope-a-dope thing there where he took two rights from A.J. Greer just to get him off balance and then threw back a right of his own coming the other way and just cracked him in the face. It was a great fight. It was competitive. I think you could probably score in a draw, depending on who you ask. But look, it, it, psh, everything about that game was relatively fun. There were moments where it felt like a, a pond hockey game uh, in terms of a little bit sloppy, which is to be expected. You got one team that's got nothing to play for because they're not going to the playoffs. You got the other team that's got nothing to play for because they've clinched the playoffs for like well over a month. I mean, look, from an entertainment perspective, this was everything that I could have asked from it and the Habs loss, which secure them the fifth best odds in the draft lottery. That's good news. Overall, a good night. Good night for the tank. Good night for the Bruins. Good night for everyone. Silver lining of this good night for everyone. The first one I'm going to go with is a little bit unorthodox. I'm going with Mike Matheson. Now, why Mike Matheson? Well, Mike Matheson played 10 minutes in the first period alone. Uh, He seemed like the one guy who really gave a shit Uh, on the Montreal roster and then he got hurt in the second period and he was out for the rest of the game but then after the game 
they bring out a microphone and uh, you know they're addressing the fans Mike Matheson goes first and he grabs it and he speaks to the fans in French they're absolutely loving it he's charismatic I'm not going to go through everything that he said but like look he might be my favorite player on the team at this point since Carey Price if Carey Price is never going to play again if Carey Price comes back comes back he immediately goes back to being my favorite player but if he doesn't then Mike Matheson, I think, is, is my new favorite player. He's charismatic. He gives it his all every single shift that he plays. The, the guy's been in one of the worst possible situations. Almost the entire defensive core has been hurt throughout the course of this season. He's been the only guy since he came back from injury at the beginning of the season who's been around the whole time. He's been asked to play 26, 27, 28, 30 minutes a night. If he stayed in that game, if he didn't get hurt in the second period, he would have hit 30 minutes. I'm sure of it. And, you know, the guy's from Montreal, from the West Island. Um, he's capable of carrying the puck, generating things offensively. He's exciting to watch when he's got the puck on his stick. He's the kind of guy that keeps you at the edge of your seat, almost at that P.K. Subban level of just excitement, of just feeling that, you know, something amazing might happen when he's got the puck. I love this guy. Um, <clears throat> can't wait to see him back next year. And you know what? I've said this before. I'll say it one more time. Give that man a letter next year. I would, if if I was the coach of the Montreal Canadiens, and I guess it's a good thing that I'm not because I'm a little bit emotional, I would rip the letter off of Joel Edmondson's sweater in the fucking room and then tape it to Mike Matheson's sweater and be like, this is yours now. It ain't yours no more. Joel Edmondson, I'm sorry, he's got to go. Uh, Mike Matheson is definitely the guy that I would like to have mentoring these other defensemen. He's your veteran defender moving forward towards the end of this rebuild and potentially even once they get back to competing. I mean, he's what, 30 years old now? Uh, I think he's still got some good hockey left in him. From what we saw this year, uh, I think there's every reason to believe that he's still got a lot of good hockey left in him. So uh, no reason to think that he can't lead this team through the end of the rebuild and maybe even beyond. You had some other silver linings in that game as well. I mean, Lucas Condotta got his first ever NHL goal in the game. Congratulations to him. I don't really think he's part of the future of the Montreal Canadiens, but, you know, you, you got to love seeing a guy get an opportunity at the end of the year, and he gets his first ever NHL goal. That's just a good story. It's just a good story. Joel Teasdale got his first NHL point on Lucas Condotta's goal. He was the one who put the puck on net, so he was credited with an assist. Look, you got two good stories there. Teasdale's a guy who maybe could find himself in the conversation to be part of the rebuild moving forward, a la Raphael Harvey Pinard. The guy they drafted late in the draft, Quebecois player, has a shot. I liked his game. I thought he played pretty well. Nick Suzuki had another great game. You know, by the time Mike Matheson got hurt, um, he's like the only regular roster player that's been around all season he's the only guy who played 82 games i think i might have to double check that but i i really think he's the only one that played 82 games this year he's been incredible this year particularly when you consider that he's lost every good line mate that he's had during the course of the season at some point everybody they've put on his line that works with him at some point they've been gone for one reason or another and look look what he's done career high in his first season as captain, um, I, I, I really think next year it's it's going to be the year for him. I think next year's the one where he's going to hit that point per game for the first time, and he's going to shut everybody up that's been whining about him. I had people after last game, like I tweeted out, 
And I was like, you know, he's got 65 points in 81 games. And he's done this while playing most of the season with people who would never be on his line if not for extenuating circumstances. And then people are coming back going, oh, he makes $8.5 million. First of all, he doesn't make $8.5 million. You could just Google him. You could see what his salary is. It's public knowledge. You could see exactly what, his ma- what he makes. But you don't want to do that because you, you got this narrative where you want to say, oh, he's overpaid hack, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? At under $8 million per season, he's playing like a number one center and he's making players who get called up from the AHL look like they belong on the first line in the NHL. I don't know about you, but to me, that screams worth the price of admission. It screams the contract isn't a problem. And it screams wait until next year and see what they can do if they can stay healthy around him and really find that optimal lineup where they can get him the right line mates, the right wingers, they can really find him some success. I think it'll happen. And now the good news is we don't have to sit around and wait for the Vancouver-Arizona game later. Um, we we know. We know where the Habs are. We know what their odds are. And uh, that's it. We just got to wait until the 8th of May, and then we're going to find out exactly where they're drafting. Until then, here on this channel, Eyes on the Prize, we're going to be trying to have some fun taking a look at different players. Uh, we're going to be looking at the CHL playoffs, uh, all three different leagues, and then definitely I'm going to be having a close look at the Memorial Cup as well. Um, that's kind of where my focus is going to be from here on out. So if you're not already subscribed to us and you're listening to this podcast right now, I would suggest subscribing because we're, we're definitely going to be taking a deep dive on a lot of these guys. we got Pat Bexel, uh, Anton Razgaard uh, out in Sweden. So we've got European correspondents as well. EOTP is global, baby. We're everywhere. And we will make sure that we have wall-to-wall coverage of everybody available in this draft as much as humanly possible so we can all keep ourselves informed on who might be the next Montreal Canadian. And that's kind of where we're at for all of us, not just us at EOTB, but for you guys listening too, for all Habs fans, is we got to look at what's next, what's going to happen next season. Marty St. Louis got asked uh, after the game, he was on RDS, he got an interview and they asked him, you know, do you see yourself in the coaching role long term? And he said, yeah, for sure. It's the second best job. I think what he meant, it was pretty clear, the first best job for him would be playing, but, you know, he's 47 years old. Although, (laughs) I think if they really wanted to, they could have brought him out of retirement at some point this season, and I don't think it would have been that much of a problem. Actually, I thought it could have been kind of fun. I think I tweeted about it a few times where I said, you know, just bring him out of retirement. Let him play a couple games. Just let him get a few games as a Montreal Canadian under his belt as a player. That would be something, wouldn't it? Player coach going back to the old days. Ooh. Well, moot point now. The season is over. So... I hope everybody had fun this year. Uh, I hope that you know you got some enjoyment out of these podcasts. Uh, I know we went through uh, a lot of changes at EOTP ourselves. You know, we went from being Vox Media people to to being independent. I went through two different podcast channels just in this season because you know when Vox Media cut us off, I said "fuck you." I'm not putting any more content out on your channel so you can make any money off me. I'm going to put it on my own channel. I put it on my own channel, and a lot of you followed me over there, and a lot of you were still listening over there. I was shocked at the amount of downloads I was getting when I was putting it out through Substack. And then, you know what? Since I came back over here, I'm still getting the same amount of downloads. So 
Um, I can't thank everybody enough for listening. The only reason I do this is because there's people who listen. If I was putting it out and nobody was listening, I'd, I'd cut it off within a week. It, I, I wouldn't keep doing it. You know, 82 episodes, it's a grind. It's, uh, there, there's times, especially in a season where they lose more than they win, where it feels like a, a chore. But you know what? Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love watching this team. And uh, even when they suck, even when they suck, it still somehow manages to be fun for me. So we'll keep this going next season uh, for sure. I will definitely have a lot more com- content coming out, as mentioned, when it comes to the CHL playoffs, etc. So stay tuned. Uh, we're not going anywhere. Uh, EOTP is now independent, so we are free from the chains of the Fox Media Empire. Fuck them, by the way. If there's if there's one final thought that I want to leave on on this podcast before I sign off, it's like they use the the language of we're uh, we're no longer funding these websites. They didn't fund shit. And if you've seen that same narrative put out there on Twitter or elsewhere. Um, just be completely aware of the fact that they did not fund anything. We went independent. We didn't get the domain back until April uh, 7th, right? So prior to April 7th, between April 1st and April 7th, we were getting about 10, 15,000 clicks per day on a, on a website that we just created out of nowhere. Once we got the domain transferred, like our first day was something stupid like 50,000. Like nothing. We built a site that worked. They didn't want to continue administrating it. Saying funding. Yeah, eat shit. You didn't fund anything. We were funding it because you were making money off the ad revenue. Now we're making money off the ad revenue. How about that? Feel it. Um, I'm going to cut it off there. I don't want to turn this into a rant about Vox. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, this doesn't exist without you guys. Uh, I really appreciate everybody who takes the time, uh, whether you're sitting in your car, sitting at home, wherever. Uh, YouTube is coming soon. We are now with the Fans First Sports Network. They have gotten us a StreamYard account, so we're going to be working on uh, some of our podcasts coming up to be put on YouTube also. So I know a lot of people prefer to listen you know, in their cars, home, whatever, you like the audio version. Don't worry, that's not going anywhere. We're still going to be on the same channel, but we're going to start putting some things out on YouTube as well. So you could look at my face as well while I'm ranting about things if you want to. If you don't, just stay subscribed on your favorite podcast um, app, and we'll keep bringing the content. So again, cannot thank you guys enough for taking the time to listen to my bullshit today or tonight we are running what over 22 minutes so c'est une soirée inconnue pour les employés de soutien je vous remercie profondément de m'avoir écouté ce soir et pour la dernière fois cette saison à la prochaine You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.